if you're watching online, I'm going to assume that you were shouting out whatever you needed to be revived from because I don't know, most people here, we, I guess we don't. Nine o'clock service. I almost went in a complete different direction. Because I'm like, do we actually believe this or not? Our world's, well, many in our world are going down a bad path. We need to be revived in our spirits, our communities, our cities need to be revived by God's Holy Spirit. Do you believe that? I mean, ser I mean seriously, do you believe that? What are you asking for in your praying? What do you pray about? Do you ask God to move? God, free me from this nonsense. God, free my, my workplace from this. I mean, do you want God revival? What say you? Mm, we're in this God wins series. We're looking at this, this message of hope and revelation from a different, from a different perspective. We're, we're, we're moving here and there, and it's kind of cool to do it this way. Because we're, we, we see that God wins, God ends the chaos, God ends evil, and then we flip back and we look at another church and the things that they're wrestling with. Because I have to imagine when these churches, when they were reading this letter, they wouldn't just read their letter and say, oh, okay, we're good. No, they like read the whole thing and then they're like, oh my goodness, this gives us the confidence that God wins and we want to be on the winning team, so let us read this part that Jesus says to us and how can we be emboldened to remain faithful to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Today, the issue is compromise. Let's pray. God, please open our minds and our hearts to your truth this morning. God, we, we, we know that you have won, that you keep winning, and that we will win every day when we refuse to compromise who we are in you. This is various things come our way, various, quote, powers that are trying to take us down the death path. So God, this morning, we just want to reaffirm our, our trust in you, that you have our best interests at heart. God, please empower us with your Holy Spirit so that we can stand firm every day in every way in you. God, please have your way with us and send us out to change your world. In your mighty name, we pray and ask, amen. Power. Let's look at that word first, power. The ability to control others. Authority, sway, influence. And then there's this word compromise. Now compromise has a lot of different definitions. We're, we're, just, gonna, we're just gonna focus in on one definition today. To make a shameful concession. When we give into a particular power in the world that takes us down the ungodly path, we make a shameful concession. And today we're going to look at how these two words, power and compromise, interact with each other. How should we respond when we are confronted with power that forces us to wrestle with some kind of compromise of, of one of our particular Christian principles or values in order to get along, in order to be accepted, in order maybe even to keep our job, to, to get a sale, to get a win, to compromise or not, I'm going a little Shakespearean on you. To compromise or not, that is the question. Mm. 
One of my former seminary professors, who's now a president of a, of a university, I think he's about 12, maybe 14 years older than me, he grew up in southern Mississippi in the 1960s. In the 1960s, the civil rights movement was trying to make inroads uh, into a culture that was steeped in prejudice, steeped in racism, steeped in like forced segregation. He saw, he saw racial oppression firsthand. Mm. <laughs> He said, he said that in his community, the churches, the white churches in his community, they, they, they made it clear that African Americans are not welcome to, to worship with them in their churches. And they actually had a plan. They actually had a plan of attack that if any of, quote, them would try to worship with us, we have a plan of attack to, to stop that. But there was, yeah, it is terrible. But there was this one Baptist preacher, this Baptist church on North Locust Street. And, and that church, they, they just, they welcomed anybody. Anybody who wants to come worship God with us, you're, you're welcome here. That pastor took a minority stance amongst his clergy peers. He just, he just refused. He, he, he resisted that, that, that downward spiral of, of prejudice and, and racism. And he said, hey, all were welcome. African Americans, you're, you're welcome to come worship with us in our white congregation. Let's make it look more like the kingdom of God. What happened? Well, the Ku Klux Klan, they burned his church. That's what happened. Not only did they do that, but they, 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 chart a, they, they chart a cross in the front lawn of that church. That cross, that charred cross, represented a different power than the power of, of the cross of Jesus Christ. Mm. That's evil power. The KKK's power was only available to those who sided with them. So which church would you have attended in southern Mississippi in the 1960s? Well, look around. Would you have attended the all-white church? Or the kingdom of God church? In the Old Testament, there's a, there's a fella by the name of Ahab, who came to power and became king of Israel. He, his name became synonymous with evil king. I mean, he ignored God. He did whatever he wanted, and he didn't, he didn't, uh, he didn't stick with one woman. He, he shared his bed. He liked that kind of stuff. And so in order to consolidate his power, he, he married a, a neighboring princess by the name of Jezebel. Think Corella Deville. That was Jezebel. Uh-huh. Right? I mean, Jezebel, she was a worshiper of Baal, which was the Canaanite god. She was pretty wild. She was pretty crafty. And what she did is she, would, she grew these the, 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 the groves of trees where, 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 where ritual prostitution would take place would take place. And she, she built these shrines to Baal throughout the kingdom of Israel so that people could worship there. They could worship Baal there. When Jezebel and, and Ahab, when they were in power, man, they exercised their power in very coercive and oppressive ways. And during their reign, Israel was ruled by pagan power. And just like many of the white pastors and white congregations in southern Mississippi in the 1960s who just went along with prejudice and racism and forced segregation, 
most of the people of Israel went along with Jezebel's pagan idolatry. Why? Well, to maintain their position, to live without discomfort. In some cases, just, just, to, just to live. One of the rare exceptions was this prophet by the name of Elijah. I think he, I think it, I think he was the, one of the forerunners to this Baptist pastor of this Baptist church located on North Locust Street in southern Mississippi in the 1960s. Elijah, he just, he just called a spade a spade. And, and he called Ahab to account. And when you call people in power to account, it usually doesn't go so well. And so he had to flee. Before he fled, he said, no dew or water will touch the land of Israel except by my word. So he leaves. Three years, Israel suffers through a horrendous drought. Then God brings uh, Elijah back, and this is what we're told in 1 Kings chapter 18, beginning of verse 17. I just like it. We're, we're not going to get into detail here and exegete this. So when I do that, I, I like to... I like to use sometimes the message because it just captures this dialogue so well. So just listen to this from the message paraphrase. That moment, this is when Elijah came back. That moment, Ahab saw Elijah and said, so it's you, old troublemaker. It's not I who has caused trouble in Israel, said Elijah, but you and your government. You've dumped God's ways and commands and run off with the local gods, the Baals. Here's what I want you to do. Assemble everyone in Israel at, at Mount Carmel and make sure that the special pets of Jezebel, the 450 prophets of the local gods, the Baals, and the 400 prophets of the whore goddess Asherah are there. Now, I remember talking about Baal and Asherah. Asherah is the female cohort to, to, to Baal. And, and, and Asherah, they had these poles, these Asherah poles where people would do some interesting things around those poles. Hence, he's calling her the whore goddess, Okay. Just want to make sure you understand that. Verse 20, so Ahab summoned everyone in Israel, particularly the prophets to Mount Carmel. Elijah challenged the people. So Elijah is speaking to, quote, the people of God, the people of Israel. Elijah is speaking to the people of Church on the Hill. Maybe, I don't know. I mean, you can put that in there. Listen, listen to what he says. How long are you going to sit on the fence? People of God, how long are you going to sit on the fence? Just try to get along, to get along. How long? How long are you going to sit on the fence? How long? This morning at the close of our 9 o'clock service, we, we, had, we had some, some men come up here who just said, you know, I'm tired of sitting on that fence. I'm tired of compromising my marriage. I'm tired of compromising my way, which is taking me down bad. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just done. I'm not sitting on the fence anymore. If you're sitting on the fence this morning, you're listening online, man, my prayer right now is that the Holy Spirit just starts to work you. <laughs> just work you. Work me. Because God's way is the best way. So again, how... How long are you going to sit on the fence, people of people, God? If God is the real God, follow him. Do you believe that God's the real God? Follow him. 
Not just every way, every day. Follow him. If it's Baal, follow him. Like if it's your job, follow it. Go all in on that. If that's your God, just, I mean, if that's what you believe, go for it. Go, just go all in, right? If it's, if it's, it's, if it's the dollar, go after it with a vengeance. If you believe that's your God, I guess go, go after it. If it's this next relationship, go all in and just, just, hey, have me. Come on. I'm tired of rejection, so I guess I'll just give myself away. I'm going to go all in. If you really think that's the, that's the God that, that has your best interests at heart, I mean, he's saying just go, just go on, follow, follow, go. But here I like what he says. Just make up your minds. Don't be fence sitters. Make up your minds. Nobody said a word. Sounds familiar. Nobody made a move to the altar of God. Why? Because the people of Israel were hedging their bets. That's why. Because they had been compromising for three years in order to keep their businesses or to keep their jobs or to keep their homes or maybe just to stay, stay alive. Because if Jezebel learned that you weren't worshiping Baal, ooh, ah, look out. Before we look down upon these people of Israel, I think we need to wrestle with our, our own stuff, right? Seriously, what dictates how you live? I think, how, what is your life centered around? What dictates your time? What sets the tone for, for how you maybe use this, this, these financial resources that God has given to you? What, 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 what dictates how you use? I mean, God has given us time. What, what dictates how we use it to further God's kingdom? What, what, do we? I mean, what dictates that? Do we use it to further God's kingdom or not? Or what really dictates how you live? Are you sitting on the fence? God's asking. So this test, let me finish it. It's a good one. You have to read it. You have to go and read this story. This, this is like one of my, I don't want to say my favorite story, but it's, it's up there. So you have, so you have the, 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 the prophets of Baal on one side with, with this, sacri- you know, this sacrifice, this altar thing here. And then, you, and then you have Elijah over here with a sacrifice with this altar over here. And again, and again Elijah's challenging, don't sit on the fence. Which, which God are you going to follow? And, and so these prophets of Baal, the, the, the test was what God is going to consume with fire the sacrifice. And so all day long, the, the prophets of Baal, they're trying to get their God to respond and they're cutting themselves. It's, it's a wild story. And Elijah can't help himself. He's just throwing out the, the sarcastic bombs like, oh, you're, you're God taking a nap? Oh, you're God out to lunch? Oh, is your God on vacation? I mean, why? why? I mean, why isn't he, why isn't he consuming your, your stuff? And then, and then Elijah, what does he do? He pours water all over it to make it, to add insult, right? Pours water all over it, asks God to do what God does, and God, boom, God consumes it. Elijah then takes care of business with many of these prophets of, of Baal. And guess what? Jezebel doesn't really like that. So Jezebel and Ahab go after Elijah, and he has to flee again. That's another message, all these wrestles that Elijah had here, okay? And then he finally comes back after they're out of power. The point being on this story, besides what fence are you on, is, is, that, is that sometimes 
life can be very tough. Sometimes we're going to suffer when we take stands against people or entities that use their power in ungodly ways because we're standing firm. We're not compromising our Christian faith. Are you with me this morning? If you are a teacher today in the public school systems, you got some tough ones to deal with on what, they, what some people may be forcing you to do. I want you to know that your prayer warrior, your pastor has your back. God, God, may God give you wisdom. We're in a tough world right now. Listen up, I'll come back to you, teachers. 500 to 600 years later, the people of this church in Thyatira, referenced in Revelation chapter 2, were dealing with the same kind of issue, same kind of dilemma as the people of Israel during Ahab's rule. How should we respond and live when we are confronted with a power that's, that's really forcing us to wrestle with whether or not we're going to compromise one of our Christian values or Christian principles? You see, in this city of Thyatira, if you wanted to survive economically, so we're really getting to some, these are, these are tough issues. These are tough issues for people. If you're, if you're gonna, gonna survive economically, you had to be part of the unions. You had to be a member in the unions at that point in time. They were called trade guilds back then and they held the power. They determined who, who sold and bought what from whom and they could put you out of business, they could put you out of work in a flash, in a snap of the finger, you're done. They had the power, and their economic power was in bed with political power. The Roman, the Roman government, which, which ruled over that area, uh, they scratched the unions back, and the unions scratched the Romans back. Now, unions are not ungodly organizations in and of themselves. I grew up in a union town in Pittsburgh. They're not ungodly, but in this case, in the city of Thyatira, the problem was is that these unions were inseparably intertwined with pagan worship in particular pagan worship festivals. The, the, the protector, the, the patron god of this city of Thyatira was Tyrimnus Apollo, the son of Zeus. And in order to become a member of the union, remember you had to be a member of the union if you're gonna survive economically, and in order to become a member of the union, you had to participate in these pagan worship festivals. That was part of your union dues. And so Christians were in a predicament. What should they do? Participate in the union with its pagan worship festivals, which, as we will see here in a minute, always led to sexual orgies. Why? We'll see in a minute why. Or refuse on Christian principle and commit economic suicide to compromise or not. That is the question. So what would you do? Huh. Jesus addresses the issue faced by these people who are attending this church in Thyatira. He addresses it this way in Revelation chapter 2, beginning of verse 18. To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, these are the words of the Son of God. It's the only time that Jesus, in these letters to these churches, the only time that Jesus refers to himself in this way to this church. Why? Why? He said, these are the words of the Son of God. Why? That, that is the real Son of God. Not this fake Son of Zeus called Tyrimnus Apollo. 
Because not only is Zeus just a joke, he's not real, nor is this Tyremnus Apollo. So Jesus is making a, a, a statement that people in this culture would, would, would have gotten. These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. I mean, this community of faith as a whole, they, they, were, they were being doing Jesus. I mean, and they were actually, they were actually growing. They were actually growing in their faith. They were actually growing in, 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 in reflecting God's image in their community. So most were, they, they were just living it. He commends them for that. But, verse 20, nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel. Saying that word would have brought these people back to that story. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. So they had this woman leader in their church who was saying that I'm speaking the word of God because that's what prophets do, right? So he says, you tolerate that woman. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. He's going right at this, these pagan worship festivals of the unions, because that's what happened. So it appears that there's this person, this woman leader in the church, who's, uh, mm -mm, who's, who's making the argument that, hey, followers of Jesus Christ can still be Christian and participate in these pagan worship festivals so that we are not shunned by the unions. The thinking goes, the thinking goes th this way. What's the problem, really, in participating in these pagan union worship festivals and eating food sacrificed to idols when none of that worship, these festivals, this food means nothing to us as Christians? Why can't we just get along? Why, why can't we just play along to get along? What's really the big deal here? Why can't we just sing some songs at these festivals? When they pray to their God Apollo, we can pray to the one true God. And, and Really, who cares about eating food sacrificed to idols? Didn't that Paul guy, didn't, didn't he write some letter to our Corinthian brothers and sisters in Christ? Didn't, didn't, he, didn't he? We know it now in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 4. Paul says, therefore, concerning things sacrificed to idols, we know there's no such thing as an idol in the world. I mean, like, no real thing. I mean, I guess people make idols, but they're not real. So the sacrifice to the idol, what's, what's, what's the problem here? Because he says there is no God but one. There's only... so. So this person is like taking this argument and just saying, so what, 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 again, what, what's the big deal here? And so this Jezebel leader in this church is just making the argument, why should we as followers of Jesus Christ, why should we suffer social isolation and economic hardship by refusing to participate in these pagan worship festivals when we know they're a joke? And actually, by participating in these pagan worship festivals, we actually can show how powerless evil is when compared to God's grace. So what's the big deal? Now, the problem with that, that argument is twofold. One, I think we all will agree that when you get too close to the fire, what happens? You get burned. 
right? And so the reality was in this church, some of these people who were attending this church who were following her leadership, <laughs> they weren't just nibbling around the edges at these pagan worship festivals. No. After a few drinks, they started to engage in sexual immorality. That is, they were engaging in these sexual orgies during these pagan worship festivals. That's what they were doing. And let's be real with each other. Can we? When the alcohol starts flowing, we start doing some very interesting things, don't we? We start doing things that we never would do because the alcohol is, is just reducing all of our inhibitions. Instead of being filled by the Spirit of God, we're being filled of the spirits, so to speak. And they're leading us down bad paths. So we will compromise sexually when we normally wouldn't. Why do you think guys love it when women drink? Why? <laughs> Easy prey. I'll take advantage of that. And they don't look at her as a woman. They, they just call her that. I, I, I hear too much as I interact with, I'll talk about men here first. I, I interact too many times with men who say, yeah, when I drink too much alcohol, I, I have this tendency to look at porn. Well, stop drinking alcohol then. Amen. I also hear from women. When I drink too much alcohol and I feel so rejected, I give myself a way to feel loved. And then I wake up tomorrow or a couple weeks or a couple months after being in this relationship and I hate myself even more. Then stop drinking the alcohol, right? Yes. Quit nibbling around the edges. Amen. When I drink too much alcohol, my friend says, my anger gets the best of me. And then I do things or I say things to my spouse or to my kids I wish I never would have said. Well, then stop nibbling around the edges. Stop compromising. Stop being on the fence. Go all in on following this God that has your best interest at heart. Are you guys, are you guys with me? Mm. The second problem with this Jezebel's argument is, is that when, when some of these people in this church were participating in these pagan worship festivals, they were losing their distinctiveness as followers of Jesus Christ. They were looking no different than the non-followers. They were, in essence, becoming indifferent to being different as a follower of Jesus Christ, and they were compromising the way. They were hurting the kingdom. They were hurting God's message of hope and healing. And so Jesus, hear me, Jesus takes this very seriously. Jesus takes fence-sitting very seriously. Listen to what Jesus says here, verse 21. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. Again, this is a leader in the church that's taking people down ungodly paths. 
trying to rationalize in their mind that it's okay to be okay with doing something that's ungodly or nibbling around the edges. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling, so I will cast her on a bed of suffering. That's what happens. That's what God's wrath is. We just end up living with the consequences of our sin choices, okay? And I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. They do the 180. Unless they do that, man, they're going to suffer too. I will strike her children dead. Ooh, grandparents, parents. That's a generational curse. I want you to hear, the, hear me on this. How we conduct ourselves, especially if we say we're followers of Jesus Christ, it impacts those who are following us. You hear me? Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds and will repay each of you according to your deeds. Ooh, ah, Jesus doesn't tolerate compromise. Jesus doesn't tolerate those who say they're followers of Jesus Christ becoming indifferent to being different as followers of Jesus Christ. And then I like how he ends. So he dresses, you get dress, you get, he addressed some stuff here, right? And then he says this, now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will, now impose, I will not impose any other burden on you. Only hold on to what you have until I come. In other words, stay faithful to the way of Jesus Christ. Why? Because God wins. I don't care what you're facing right now in this world. God wins. And you can win spiritually too. You can win each and every day if you just stay faithful to the way, the cross of Jesus Christ. You just stay faithful to the way and do not compromise. I got your back. Yeah, you may face some hardships here, but I'm going to talk about you spiritually. You're just going to be living with me in the right relationship forever and forever and forever and forever. And that can begin right here, right now. Because guess what? Some people in this church, a big group of people in this church, were finding ways to live and survive and have impact in this community without compromising their faith. Sometimes we miss that message here. That's the implication. There are some people who are living it in this community faith and making a godly difference in this community of Thyatira. You don't have to compromise to survive economically. Are you, are you guys with me here? You don't have to compromise in your work, in your neighborhood, in your school or your whatever to make it. Yeah, you may be called a name. You may be ostracized. You may not get invited to a party. Well, good for you. That party's probably going to go a bad way anyway, right? Jesus' letter here to these people of Thyatira reminds me of, a, of another letter. And, and again, this, this letter to these people of Thyatira saying, hey, get, don't get off the Don't compromise the way. Be a follower in every way. Come on, I want to use you to change the world. I want to use you to change the world. And maybe, maybe people that, are, that were going to go to that, that, that festival, they see you say no. Maybe you give them an out if you stand firm in your faith. Okay? Maybe God wants to use you to help somebody. I, 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 I'll never forget. It's always sticking in my mind. I've shared this before. But, but when, when, I was, when I started seminary, I was still doing a lot of negotiations. And, and, and I happened to be in a home on an evening in Houston, Texas, 
of a wealthy gentleman who had hired me to negotiate a deal. And we were there with six or seven of us. And, and, and a knock comes at the door at about eight o'clock at night and it's an escort to service us all, okay? And, and so she comes in and I'm like, oh boy, uh, the hottest FedEx person I've ever seen, okay? Because she called her the FedEx girl. And I'm like, huh? And someone goes, what, you don't, you don't, you don't get into this? And I said, well, a couple things. One, I happen to have a, a wife that I love. All the men there were married. And I'm just falling a different way now. And they're like, get him out of here. And someone there said, hey, I'll be more than happy to take him back to his hotel. So I, by, by me standing firm and not compromising, I gave an out to another person. I want, to, I want you to understand the power that you have in Christ Jesus to help other people not go down bad paths. Are you guys, are you guys following me here? It's not just about us. People are watching. People want to be empowered. They may not know the Holy Spirit yet. They may not have the power, but we do, and we can help them say no to sin and yes to God in all things. Are you guys, are you guys getting this? So this letter, this letter reminds me of another letter because Jesus is really saying, hey, just be a follower in every way. And, and, and this, other, this other letter that, that this reminded me of is this, this letter that was written by a fellow by the name of Martin Luther King Jr. You guys ever hear, hear of that, that person? I'm just, I'm just checking. And he's, he's writing a letter in a similar vein because he's challenging other clergymen, white ones in particular. Hey, just be a follower of Jesus Christ every way and every day, no matter what it is. I mean, followers of Jesus Christ, we, we can't handle prejudice and racism and segregation because no one's segregated in God's kingdom, folks, right? <laughs> no one is. And so he's writing this letter to challenge them to think maybe differently. He says this from a jail because he was jailed because there were protests going on in Birmingham, Alabama, peaceful ones, and people were being jailed and sprayed with all kinds of interesting stuff. He says this, well, confined here in Birmingham City Jail, I came across your recent statement causing, calling our present activities unwise and untimely because these other white pastors are saying, hey, just give it time. Just give it time. People will change at some point in time. Just give it time. And I want to put this in perspective for you because I want to talk about what systemic racism actually looks like. Because at this point in time when he wrote this from this jail, if you were an African American, you weren't allowed by law to be a police officer. You weren't allowed by law to be a firefighter. You, you weren't allowed to drive a city bus. You, you, you weren't allowed to, to actually run the register at a department store. You weren't allowed to be a bank teller. And that's systemic racism. That's ugly. That's the context he's writing this from. Why the protest? That's why. I want to try to answer your statement. And what I hope will be patient and reasonable terms. That is, that is just, be, just wait. He says, I want to I respond to that. You deplore the demonstrations taking place in Birmingham, but your statement, I'm sorry to say, fails to express a similar concern for the conditions that brought about these demonstrations, what I just talked about. Oh, did I mention that if you were an African-American, you were not allowed by law to, to eat at the lunch counters in the city of Birmingham? I just, I failed to mention that. 
That's systemic racism. I want to make sure we understand what systemic racism is. That's systemic racism, okay? Perhaps it's easy for those who never felt the stinging darts of segregation to say, wait. But when you've seen vicious mobs lynch your mothers and fathers at will, yes, that happened during our history. Confess it, call it what it is. It's sin. It's ugly. When you've seen hate-filled policemen, at this point in time, there's no black policemen. When you've seen hate-filled policemen curse, kick, and even kill your black brothers and sisters, that's not cool. When you are humiliated day in and day out by nagging signs reading white and colored. Did I mention that that they had different watering fountains if you were white or if you're African-American. Did I, did I mention that? Different bathrooms, too. Did, did, I, did I mention that? that that's, syst- that's systemic racism. Okay. When you are forever fighting a degenerating sense of nobodiness, then you will understand why we find it difficult to wait. Oh, my fellow clergymen, just be and do Jesus. Take a stand against sin. Live the way of Jesus Christ and this world will be a better place. Because God's kingdom (laughs) includes everybody, every race. It's not just for some. Are you guys with me this morning? Southern Mississippi in the 1960s. Old Testament Israel during Ahab's rule. living in the city of Thyatira when these unions ran it and required pagan worship participation. Ooh-ah. Birmingham, Alabama, 1963. Mm. Where racism and prejudice and forced segregation was running rampant. Evil. Evil can exist in the economic and political systems of the world. That doesn't surprise me. We saw it with Egypt when they were enslaving Israel. Doesn't surprise me. What does surprise me is when evil exists within the people of God. Because when evil power exists within the people of God, God's message of healing and restoration, God's message of of salvation and redemption and freedom, it's crippled. Because when evil power exists amongst the people of God, our ability to, as God's people, to expand God's kingdom is crippled. Because who would ever want to be a part of that kingdom? Are you following me? Unfortunately, some, maybe many, white pastors and white congregants in southern Mississippi in the 1960s sided with prejudice, racism, and forced segregation. Unfortunately, white pastors in Birmingham, Alabama in 1963 sided with Prejudice, racism, and forced segregation. Unfortunately, 
most of the people of Israel, the people of God, sided with Jezebel and her pagan idolatry worship. Unfortunately, the children of Jezebel, the people that were following this leader in this church, were siding with participation in pagan, ungodly worship festivals. And God's kingdom was being crippled. When we began this study of Revelation from this perspective, I think, because some of you are all like, oh yeah, I'm pumped up about this. We're going to read about and learn about all this end time stuff because we must be living in it because it's crazy world right now. Oh, we're going to talk about rapture and we're going to talk about antichrist and we're going to talk about all this, all this crazy stuff. Sorry. It's not the message. The message, ultimately, in this letter of Revelation is about power. It's like every story we've read, it's about power. Who has it, how it's being used, and how followers of Jesus Christ will respond to power that is forcing us to wrestle with whether or not to compromise some Christian principle, some Christian value in order to get along or to be accepted in a particular situation. Again, the question is to to compromise or not. That is the question. Some of us in our places of employment are going to have to make that call. I feel for some, depending on what school district you may be in, in a public school system. One of our brothers in, I think it was Virginia, lost his job because he just took a stand against something that was against his Christian faith. I can't do this. I can't do that. I think God's looking for people who are willing to take a stand. And we always look at those big issues, right? Like, ooh, they are big because our jobs are at stake. But, but we're being challenged by the evil one in so many different ways, right? Like, how about this one? How about peer power? Because we live in a world of power, right? How about peer power? We always think about that in junior high or high school. But that continues throughout our lives in our workplaces, right? Are we going to, you know, nibble around the edges with a drug or, or, or go down to some paths with some alcohol, right? More than what we should, for sure. Are we going to compromise sexually to get along? There were some women in the law firm that I worked in who didn't compromise and they were elevated. Who did compromise and they were elevated. Those who didn't compromise, they found a job someplace else that would respect them. Just saying that's how it was. In some cases, it seems like that's still how it is. What are you going to do? How about performance power? What are you going to do? How are you going to lie, steal, and cheat to get ahead? Are you going to do that or not? I did. Because I was a church attendee. I was a fence sitter. Yeah, I did. I lied and I stealed and I cheated to get ahead, to win. The truth is whatever I could get you to believe as a jury. If I could crush someone, I'd crush someone, a witness. If I could confuse, I could confuse. If I could hide a document, hide a document, right? To get, what, what, are, you, what are you willing to compromise? To get ahead. Performance power, and then because that leads to money power, right? And I have to confess that that was my God. I wanted to retire at 45. I wanted to have a certain amount in my, in my 401k. I wanted to be, I wanted to be, I wanted to be free. 
I didn't want to be beholden to anybody. So I did whatever it took to make more. You going to give in to that power? And then this cancel culture power, right? That's what we've been talking about, teachers and people. And maybe if you have a restaurant or you bake things or whatever you do. Are we going to compromise a Christian value or principle just to, just to play along, to get along? It doesn't really matter, does it? What are you going to do, people? Church in the hill. Followers of Jesus Christ. What are you going to do? If you're tired of taking stands, I mean, taking, being on the fence. I want you to take a stand today. I'm asking the Holy Spirit to work on you right now. Jesus, Jesus' letter here in Revelation opens us up to understanding an alternative power that's at work in the world. Remember, these... These, these churches, they were struggling here, these seven churches. And, and this, this whole letter is opening up to reminding them that there is an alternative power at work. And that's the power of the cross of Jesus Christ. And that power, that power is driven by a different kind of power. God's love, which is a love of sacrifice for the sake of others, which is a love of action for the benefit of others which is a love of forgiveness that lets go of all past wrongs, that, that offense, the past is not going to inhibit my relationship with you into the future. Just not. And, and what does God's love do when we live it, this alternative power? Well, it actually, it actually when, we, when we live God's love, we actually love people out of the, the death way of sin into God's kingdom. We actually love people out of, put it this way, the way of sin that leads to death into God's kingdom, which is all about life. That's how powerful this God love is when we stand firm and refuse to compromise some Christian value or principle. People are watching. They see. They can't help but be drawn to it. And when we love them the way Christ Jesus loves us, They want more of that. So Jesus ends his letter here to these people in Thyatira this way in verse 26. Beginning at 26, he says this, To him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. There's that word authority. We talked about it last week. Webster's defines it as the power to influence thoughts, opinions, and behavior. God is giving us authority here over the nations. He will rule that is shepherd them with an iron scepter that has ward off all the attacks of the evil one and will dash them, all this evilness, 
Dash them to pieces like pottery. Just as I have received authority from my Father. Again, God wins every single day when we exercise our God-given covenant authority to shut down the temptations and the attacks of the evil one and to expand God's kingdom. Every day God wins when we exercise that authority. We talked about that last week. Jesus continues, I will also give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I think Jesus is saying in this letter, in this particular message to the church of Thyatira that Jesus' heroes, God's heroes, the heroes of God's kingdom are people like this white Baptist pastor of this church on North Locust Street in southern Mississippi, like Martin Luther King, like Elijah who refused to bend, like everyone else who refuses to compromise some Christian principle or some Christian Value in the face of evil power. One thing that I can guarantee you as we walk this path of life is that we will find and we will experience many compromising dilemmas as we walk this path of life. Whether it's a client or a customer asking us to do something, whether it's a friend, whether it's some entity or organization, We're going to face compromising situations. So again, I ask, to compromise or not, that is the question. If there's anybody here this morning who's just tired of sitting on the fence, who wants to come to God's altar, God's place of freedom, God's place of grace and be empowered by God's Holy Spirit to stand firm, to just refuse to compromise in any way, to live the way of Jesus Christ every day. If there's anybody here this morning who wants to come and just tell God, I'm all in, use me how you see fit, then I want to invite you in front of your, maybe your spouse, friend, I don't know, people here to come and just say, here I am, God. (laughs) Please empower me. I don't want to be a person of compromise anymore. I love, I'm going to end with this verse, I love how James puts it. James 1.27, pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means two things, one of which I'll focus on, one I won't. Caring for orphans and widows. People that got a curveball in life. We're to do that. That's true religion. And then the second, and this is what I want to really want you to hear. Pure and genuine religion, the sight of God the Father means refusing to let the world corrupt you. May Christ just be magnified in us. May we just get real. No more fence sitting. We're all in. God, give us your strength through the Holy Spirit to stand firm on your love and your truth. We don't want to compromise your love in favor of your truth. We don't want to compromise your truth in favor of your love because that's weird because love and truth, your love and truth are the same. (laughs) Right? So help us to be people of your way every day in every way. God, have your way with us, please. Oh, please, God, use us to show people a different way to live, a 
a beautiful way to live, a life-giving way to live that is filled with your love and your joy and your peace and your gentleness and your goodness and your faithfulness and your self-control, God. May you use us to love people out of the way of sin that leads to death into your kingdom, which is all about life. Oh God, please, we're asking in your mighty, life-giving name, we pray, amen.